I'm seeking freedom, right? I want our kids to be free. We think about revelatory assessment. What we're really hoping is that kids are proud of who they are and how they want to learn and journey in the, in the learning and that trust in themselves of how they want to explore and navigate the world. The topic of today's podcast is assessment as revelation with Dr. Kelly Kamek. Unpacking Education is brought to you by AVID.org. AVID believes that we can raise the bar for education. To learn more about AVID, visit their website at AVID.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators, and we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote for today is from Dr. Miguel Cardona, U.S. Secretary of Education. He says, we need to recognize once and for all that standardized tests work best when they serve as a flashlight on what works and what needs attention, not as a hammer to drive the outcome from the top down, often pointing fingers to those with greater needs and less resources. Winston. Mm. That's a powerful quote. Yeah, it's a very powerful quote in terms of so many students are missed in their abilities because they have one moment to actually deal with a test, like in terms of like life happening. Like as an adult, there are things that happen on in a Tuesday that makes my day horrible and I cannot use 100 percent of my brain power. So that part, I think, is a problem. But I was uh, actually in a um, conversation with a teacher a couple of uh, a week ago and one of the conversation was how to change assessment. And they, they were talking to a, a fourth grader about how Batman would be a strong reader. But prior to asking how Batman could be a strong reader, they asked the student, how could he be a strong reader? And he wasn't able to explain how he could do that. But as soon as it was asked, how could Batman be a strong reader? He could give so many tools like Batman could use this detective tool. He could use this detective tool. He can use this. He could use this. And just changing the who does what really helped the student be able to demonstrate their full knowledge. So um, with this quote, it's like it makes sense to like recognize how students really demonstrate their knowledge. So that's why I like the flash flashlight idea, like really looking at what the students need instead of it being such a uh, non-human experience. All right, Paul. Yeah, what really resonates with me is is that metaphor, you know, the hammer and the flashlight. We really need to be using that as a flashlight, but I feel like too often they are being used as hammers, especially like standardized tests, because they get published and then now they get used to rank schools and deny funding and all kinds of things like that. That that should not be the intention of assessment. Assessment should be to help us become better, move forward, even at the formative piece or even summative. So we know as a program how we need to get better the next time. But um, we need to bring up, bring out the flashlights. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I'm really hoping to dig into that a bit today with our special guest. So I would like to welcome Dr. Kelly Kamek. Welcome to the show. Hello. And if you can just tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background, I'd really appreciate it. Sure. Hi, I'm Kelly. Um, I currently reside in Eastern Washington. I am a central office administrator. 
Um, and I um, am a SoCal girl enjoying um, the rain in Washington. So I'm a sunshine girl um, from San Bernardino. Um, and I was a teacher for a long time. I'm almost 20 years into education work, love teaching. I'm one of those high school teachers, English. Um, and, um, yeah, I had an opportunity to teach in comprehensive settings, alternative settings, um, became, uh, really enamored with project-based learning and, um, and shifted my practice into a, a PBL um, facilitation and then um, ended up having an opportunity to coach schools and redesign and transform schools to be project-based learning schools for a national network and um, traversed across the country and backwoods Arkansas and New York City. And um, yeah, so I learned a lot um, about what it meant to teach and learn in the United States. Um, and, um, although that was really powerful, I missed kind of being part of the daily grind and really like seeing the work through versus, you know, just kind of strategizing it from a distance or, and popping in here and there. So, I uh, went back into administration and, um, and here I am still just trying to, um, reimagine teaching and learning every day, um, so that it can actually live out the values it says it has. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm excited to hear more and, so we're going to really focus in today um, on a talk and some research you've done around assessment as revelation. So just to get us started, can you just talk about what is, is it revelatory assessment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, so a colleague in mine, um, Abby Benedetto, um, we were Deeper Learning Equity Fellows um, a few years back. Um, so got to wrap the equity fellows. Um, and my colleague worked at Envision Learning Partners um, and really focused on performance assessments and um, defenses of learning um, that were really catered to a, stu a student's sense of goal making and um, opportunities beyond just like a standardized assessment um, and ways in which they demonstrated um, their mastery of content and um, profile of a graduate um, and so she and I always talked about how we're like, we're all about this equity work and we're all about like looking for justice. Um, and I, and we also felt like this, like, you know, we're just trying to like make it a little bit better, but still really honoring the rules and the conformity of standardized assessments, right? So a performance assessment still becomes standardized in a set of like, here's our criteria, here's the ways in which students can perform this assessment, right? Here's our portrait of a graduate, here's the ways in which we will um, you know, the proficiency of that. And, and so it's like, it's not necessarily the same as like a, a map test or, you know, an SBA exam, but it's still, um, still pretty confined. And so um, I'm like, you, you know, we're looking for freedom. Like I'm looking for liberation. I'm not, you know, I always talk about this. I said, you know, I'm not really interested in getting our children more comfortable in the master's house. I'm seeking freedom, right? I want our kids to be free. Um, and so how do we continue to push and insert that type of um, ways of thinking. And so that's where we got to revelatory assessment. Um, and what we tried and, and we're, this isn't it, right? We're not saying here's a new framework, like follow this. <laughs> um, but we are really trying to, um, share some, some ideas and constructs to help us really think through how we can truly center student as curriculum, how we can really partner and eliminate, um, the boundaries of, um, of any type of constraint around assessment and 
how we can really think through really centering the learning journey for young people, but also that reciprocity between young people and grownups in, in that type of assessment space. So um, it makes sense in terms of like the idea of trying to push the assessment in a place that's more um, human centered, student centered, right? Totally understand that idea. But a part of it is like, wow, that revelatory, it's seen, that's a very like deep concept of an idea of like, hey, how you do this. So I just want to try to unpack that a little bit with you, if you don't mind. So I know that there are five elements of revelatory assessments, right? And we're hoping that you could, we can dig into those uh, five elements a little bit, but I know that you start with personal. Can you give us a little bit of an explanation of how personal, um, this personal element of um, the the assessment model? Yeah. So what, what we mean by personal is truly student-centered. Um, what is that student interested in? Um, how do they want to create an assessment process or demonstrate their learning? What do they want to learn about? How they want to tell you or show you they're learning that? Um, how they want to um, essentially develop their own success criteria and sense-making in partnership with a class or with a group or with their um, facilitator? Um, but that it's truly personal to them. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think in the in the grand idea, like, you know, um, it would really be a kid showing up and saying, like, I'm really interested in mushrooms and I want to spend some time exploring out in the woods and digging up these shrooms and figuring out this whole fungus game. Like, I, that's that's what I'm about right now. And that we would be able to, like, construct um, space and time and opportunity and partnership and learning and resource for them to really dig into that. Um, literally right into the earth and really studying and um, out there um, in nature and um, and you know being able to um, discover more scientific concepts and and some more in-depth learning and and then that they could say you know here's what I'm learning about mushrooms I really want like to be able to share more about this particular area that I'm learning about and this is how I would really like to be able to you know um show evidence of, of my expertise or, you know, what I, what I'm really proud of knowing or learning or being able to do because of this learning. And so that's, that's that personal, you know, construct, um, that we, that we seek, right. And when we think about revelatory assessment, what we're really hoping is that kids are proud of who they are and how they want to learn and journey in the, in the learning and not like trying to, that they, that they don't, not that they're not trying to, but I think a lot of times they, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? What, what should I be learning? Um, you know, what should I be doing and, and trying to eliminate that for them to really be proud and confident and start to build that agency and that trust in themselves of how they want to explore and navigate the world. I like that. It's like bringing a Montessori positionality, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. normally for the wealthiest of wealthy students mm-hmm. with the most freedom, right, to mm-hmm. those who are the most furthest away from justice. Mm-hmm. I like that. We could also find out can mushrooms really create zombies? I just got to know. <laughs> <laughs> so we probably should be learning about this. Uh, it's important. <laughs> the last of us. The last of us. <laughs> That's a pretty important problem-based learning uh, question mm-hmm. to start with. <laughs> Inquiry. The survival of humanity depends on our it's ability not. to master this whole fungus stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I love about what you're saying is, you know, it, it's the opposite of standardized. Mm-hmm. It's personalized, not standardized, because standardized, just by its own terminology, 
is not equitable because it's standard. No, no two students are standard. Um, we, you know, personalizing it, I just think is such a, a, a great way to look at it. But let's jump into the next part, the next element, narrational. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So narrational, we, we just kind of bring it back old school to um, the way in which humans have learned and thrived for millennia, right? Since time immemorial, good old fashioned storytelling, um, and how we're able to share our stories and hear stories and learn through story, um, how story can um, really be non-human in linguistic. Um, you know, how, how does how do seasons tell us stories? Um, how do we really learn how to listen and um, and honor um, t- rich traditions and multiple perspectives um, and the simplification and complexity of what does it mean to like process and think through. Um, our humanity. Um, And I think what's important for us in in this framework is that it's narrational from our students, from the young people, but also with our young people and ways in which they hear and tell stories and really center into that storytelling. I think what we're trying to like hone in on particularly is getting rid of that quantification of learning and how we try to get so precise and we lose... um, the complexity and the richness of brilliance that our students have to share with us every day um, because we need to get it like really quickly. Right. Um, And we need it to be mass produced and and be able to be categorized across like 5,000 different ways that completely dehumanize the learning experience. Um, And I think really eliminate our ability to truly understand how our students are thinking or processing or learning um, and how they can experience that from others as well. So that's our that's our our narrational component. Mm. Yeah, and that's so rich and can bring in so many so many components that I think are just missed mm-hmm. constantly. And so that the third component that you talk about is relational, mm-hmm. which can mean a lot of different things. So I'm just curious mm-hmm. what that means for you in this context. Yeah, yeah, we talk about relationship um, in a pretty holistic way. Relation. With self, are you in right relationship with yourself, relationship with the earth, um, truly like your feet on the ground and understanding, you know, your place in and among um, earth and then relationship with others. Um, and again, I think what we hope for is to really decenter the hierarchy, right? And really like how are students in relationship and in community in places where they feel empowered and um, and worthy, not um, like not deferent to the learning environment. And I also think about that, particularly that relationship with our earth um, and really flattening that sense of humanity um, and how do we humble ourselves to be part of the earth and the ecosystem? How do we um, become a part of a community amongst our peers, amongst adults, that intergenerational relationship um, and that respect for real possibility um, for us to really know who we are, who others are, how we are beneficial and learn from and are needed to others um, and how we receive from them, um, no matter their status, their title, their age, um, you know, how they move and live in in the world, but that we, you know, really can see ourselves as part of a community and and to give to that community and to receive from that community. And that pushes a teacher to not only see themselves as a member of a community, but that the community is an important learning tool, right? You have white individuals who are coming into a place that has a long history of abuse from whites. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they may not like that. It's not that they may not like you. They're distrust because of the experience that they have. Mm -hmm. So how do you Mm -hmm. deal with your relationship to that? 
that -hmm. place. Um, One of the the next stage or the next important element that you define in your um, conversation of this revelatory assessment framework that you mentioned is irritant. I hate pronouncing this word. Iterative. Um, Iterative. Am I saying that right? Iterative. Iterative. I I cannot say that word ever. Um, And I pretend like I know what it means as a like academic. But what do you think that that what do what's your um, point in utilizing that concepts? It's it's a continuous learning journey. There is no end. So we really talk about wayfinding. And if we're constantly in an iterative space of learning and growing, um, you know, we always talk about you got to be a lifelong learner and then graduate college and you're good. Um, right. Or you got to be you know, a lifelong um, learner, but then you get that certain position and like you've got it right. Like um, and so we're, we're trying to disengage from that. Again, that's that's a misalignment. You can't tell someone to be a lifelong learner and then say, OK, and now you've learned what you need to know. You've advanced from fifth grade to sixth grade and there's like an end point. Right. Or you've mm-hmm. passed algebra or like, you know, like we create these finite um, constructs within this, you know, value system of, of lifelong learning. So we really do value and want to um, assert the iterative process in which you, you really never arrive, that you're constantly growing and journeying. And I think even, you know, as we get older, we realize like, gosh, I'm, I'm rereading that book, or I'm rethinking through this construct, or I'm, you know, doing this, you know, art project that I did 15 years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and I'm experiencing it really differently now, right? Like there's a new way for me to even engage in learning that you would even think that you have established or mastered previously. So um, what we try to assert and, and try to really show models of is the fact that you can continue to grow and, and think about learning as touchstones, but eliminating this sense of accomplishment or arrival so that we're constantly living in a world of um, continued question and inquiry, um, you know, appreciating the moments of, of when something is revealed to us, appreciating those moments of advancement or ritual, but also acknowledging that we will always be inquiring and listening mm. into and asking and needing, you know, right from others. Um, and as we journey into our own self-discovery and how we grow and, and iterate over time. Um, so that's, that's that construct for that as well. Mm. I love how when you talk about that iterative process, it really weaves back into some of the other things that you've been talking mm-hmm. about, being driven by inquiry, mm-hmm. not by driven to get a certain number on a test, right? A score, right. because how many tests are we going to get in life unless you're going to take the bar exam or something? I mean, there are very few. Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. an, it's iterative, and if we stop learning when we leave school, we're done, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And... Uh, and that that's such a key thing. Let's go on to the fifth one, the last piece, reciprocal. How does that tie into this whole thing? Yeah, well, I think that hopefully that really kind of wraps us back up into that sense of to give and receive and then continuous ri- rhythm, right, of um, reciprocity. Um, and I th- I, we also try to really mirror the natural environment, you know, as Mother Earth, as, as our teacher and, and our facilitator, in the sense of, you know, this constant renewal, um, this constant give, this constant take, um, an opportunity in which you can contribute, an opportunity in which you can receive. And I think particularly into the schoolhouse, right, is how do teachers and adults and people with positions in which they usually are, I'm the giver, I'm the facilitator, are actually seeing themselves equally as the receiver 
and that they are learning from and learning alongside and are being benefited from, you know, their class, their students, you know, these young people and their brilliance just as much as they are able to contribute. Um, and that, um, you know, when we think about rearing young people in a reciprocity lens, that they are also constantly in all relationship and all community partnerships and all ways in which they are um, growing and learning and seeking that they are, here's, here's what I know and here's what I'd like to continue to know and grow with you. Here's what I receive from you. Um, and really understanding that full journey um, and interconnectedness and interdependence um, versus like a static sense of like status or um, finding a difference or a divide, but that we're always constantly in community um, and in need of and with each other. <sighs> yeah. I'm just going to sit with that for a second, this idea of what community really means. Um, I think there's misconception constantly mm-hmm. about what that means. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of being reciprocal to give and receive, we tend, I see teachers, lots of giving, not mm-hmm. a lot of receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that. So a lot of this to me might be new for some. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking to an educator hoping to start shifting their assessment practices towards more of this uh, revelatory assessment, where might you have them start or what might be some advice you'd have for them? Yeah, well, um, in our revelatory assessment work, we we have um, some examples of how this work is showing up for each one of those components of our framework. We have, here's how that looks in this school. Here's this organization that is engaging students in this um, so I think first and foremost, it's happening already. Um, mm. I would argue it's happened since time immemorial, right? But we're, um, you know, really trying to get back to our, our successful roots of what it means to, to learn and live. Um, and I think um, it, you can start small. It's not like you have to um, completely, you know, eliminate everything you've known or how you, you know, operate in a school setting. But there are real um, specific and intentional shifts that you can make. Um, in your practice, um, in your classroom, you know, with your school learning community. Um, another thing, you know, we've also been really focusing on is, is those mindsets. What's the unlearning, the unleashing, um, kind of that, that cleansing that might need to happen um, for you to, to open and receive the possibility of, of teaching and learning in this way? Um, you know, especially in the name of equity, you know, there are multiple camps around, what our students need or what's best for students, especially students furthest from justice. Oh, they need to have these types of classes and be able to excel in this way because that's the only way they can access this. And if they can't access this, they will never achieve this. Um, And so, you know, it's a mindset. It's really, you know, interrogating your values. And if you mean that, then is your actions aligned to that? Um, Does your classroom facilitate that? Um, and and then, you know, you can start with asking kids, what do you want to do? I mean, and it's hard. You know, I was a teacher. I had 200 students. I couldn't go to every 200, you know, all right, you get to learn about mushrooms and you're going to do this. And, you know, right. And like, I'm going to have this customized learning plan for 200 kids. Um, but I could really open up some more voice and choice in ways in which, you know, you can choose from, you know, this set and tell me how you want to, you know, we can build relationship by how you want to roll with this learning. Um, and I can manage that. Um, and, you know, I think that relationship building um, is huge. And mm. that does, you don't have to really change much other than the way that you interact and really are explicit about that you how you give that reciprocity um, or how you really center the brilliance of young people and, and focus on what they can provide for you and contribute to you um, and to others. 
Um, so it could be even just a, a culture shift. You can still do all the all the regular technical stuff of schooling, but change that culture um, tomorrow. You know, you can start that work. So we have resources, we have models to share, we have PD that we provide, um, and you know, um, start small, right? And and it's that inner work. You teach who you are. You know, you lead who you are. So. Um, it's also really recognizing where you stand in these um, five components um, and how you can roll forward with those. Well, and as we think about how we can roll forward, you know, we've got a really nice idea of this framework now. Let's jump into our toolkit and see if we can drop in some practical ways to do that. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What, what is in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit? Check it out. All right, Winston, what's in your toolkit today? Oh, man. I feel like I'm trying to, like, piece out something that naturally goes together. Right? Like, so thinking about just learning my students, that's that reciprocal thing, right? Learning my students and then figuring out this kid gets triggered by this and this kid learns that. That's the personal thing, right? So um, just thinking about finding ways to personalize questions so that students have a chance to really demonstrate their understanding, right? Like that's what I'm taking away as a part of the toolkit. That's really a valuable thing. One, we're already doing it. So since time of memorial, so I like that idea. So that's really been the piece that I'm taking to my toolkit. Awesome. What about you, Rena? I, I mean, Kelly talked about this a little bit at the beginning about all your work with PBL, but I think project-based learning lends itself really well to this process and thinking about how students kind of have that choice um, and then they, how they can both intake output, they could both the narrational, they can all different ways and the relationships they need to have in order to be able to share that information and gather that information. But, and I think along the way they have choices and they get to kind of choose their pathway. So project-based learning seems like a really good option. (laughs) For sure. I'm going to I'm going to build off the choices word that you mentioned there Rena and you mentioned a bit ago Kelly that you can't maybe meet with all 200 kids every day you know and guide them all like that but what you can do when you start a unit or a lesson is ask yourself what's firm what do I have to do here so that's got to get baked into everything And then where can kids have choice? Where can they bring in their personal expression, bring in their personal interests? There's lots of ways. I was an English teacher too. You know, when when we did speech class, I didn't tell them the topic. I told them the type of topic. You Mm. know, you pick the topic within that. Um, Mm. When I taught um, a writing class, it was like a a technical writing class. You're going to create a game. And then you have to write the directions for how to play that game. There's tons of choice in those kinds of activities, but you're still teaching them the fundamental skills that they need, the firm things. So Mm. I think that firm and flexible is a really big tool to drop in the kit. And how about you, Kelly? You you get a chance to do this too. Thank you. Yeah, I I would say... um, I think a good place to start is like asking questions and um, being open to those responses. How can you inquire into your kids? What are you interested in? How would you like me to work with you um, on this? What is something that I can do differently to, you know, help you feel more engaged? Who would you like to work with on this? You know, like just really um, checking in on how often are you 
asking your students what they want and what they need and um, and how they're experiencing learning with you and how and then how are you responding to that? Right. How are you honoring um, their their input? Um, and, and so you don't necessarily have to do too much to really shift the way that you are learning alongside and, and with your young people. Mm. I appreciate the conversation of learning alongside your young people. So we're about to jump into the la- our next segment, which is our one thing. And the idea of just a, a revelatory evaluation system is one thing that's already <laughs> bouncing in there and it's going to be bouncing for a couple of days. So I actually love that. It's time for that one thing. So what we're going to do is just take a second and think about what's the one thing that you're still thinking about mulling through that's going to be in your mind to hopefully help think and drive your um, actions in the future. I'm going to start off with Paul. What's what's the one thing that's still bouncing? My one thing is five things. Mm. <laughs> and those are those are the five elements because they're at once simple Mm-hmm. And on another level, really complex. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're simple to remember. So you can kind of tuck them in the back of your head as you're planning these things. It needs to be personal, narrational, relational, iterative, reciprocal. I can remember those five things. And then I can invent how that works with each lesson that I'm doing. So I think those are really good guideposts. Mm. Mm. Rena, what are you thinking about? I, I just keep coming back. And Dr. Kamek said this several times with the centering about the brilliance of young people. So just keeping them at that nucleus. And then even at the very beginning, this whole thing of like, not just having students doing assessments, but they're actually the ones creating them. And that is a huge switch for many people. (laughs) I hear that. I think my one thing is going back to the point of the switching of mentalities to be about about students and really trying to know what students are struggling with or skilled in and really trying to grow that. So I appreciate that piece of it. So I'm thinking about how to do that. Um, Dr. Kelly, I always do that. I'm sorry. I'm like old school. I say first name. So if you were miss or sir, I would have been the same. Right. So I apologize. Um, Dr. Kamek, um, what would you like to drop one thing or anything that we think you're thinking about? I think uh, my one thing is that, um, you know, there's so much more kids could do if we get out of the way. Mm. And, you know, how do we um, step back and bask in the glory um, and brilliance of our young people? And, and, and that that's good for us, right? Like that's, that's what we need. That's what we want. That's actually what we say we do this for. Um, and so to kind of embrace, um, you know, how we can operate and move in this work, uh, even in school places and and non-school places, Mm. um, but to really revere and respect um, our young people, two-year-olds to 25-year-olds, right? Um, And there's real quick and easy ways you can just shift in in how you move and be in the world to to see more of that light, more of that brilliance. Mm. (sighs) Well, as always, I appreciate so much all the wisdom bombs you drop on me and all of the conversation we've had today um, and sharing your brilliance and just really digging deep into revelatory assessment. So thank, thank you, you so much for joining I us so today. I appreciate to have this conversation with you all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you 
to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.